Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, from the team that brought you the Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Zach Glazer, and this is episode 427 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Stephanie talks with Nika Kabiri about battling decision fatigue. Today's show is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists, Clio, and Documate. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later on. Stephanie, I think we've had Nika on this show before. And hopefully multiple times. So if anybody's interested, you know, finds this one interesting, they can go back and, and find other ones. But I actually met Nika at CleoCon. I randomly sat next to her on the bus going to an after party event and was independently fascinated by, by what she does and realized that I actually already followed her on Twitter and was already connected with her in many ways. But it's always fun to kind of meet somebody you've never really met and go, oh, yeah, I am fascinated by this person. Yeah, I met her in person at Clio as well, the same time you did, and although not on the bus. But earlier that day, I'd interviewed her for a podcast for a different show that we do with Legal Talk Network on the road. So that was really fun. And she's just really cool because for those who don't know, she's a decision scientist. And people have said to me, wow, what is that? I didn't even know that exists. <laughs> And so that's pretty cool that she's like, yeah, let me help you figure out how to make better decisions. Mm -hmm. And last night when I told my husband about this interview, he was like, oh, that's an episode I should actually listen to. And so I joked and said that might be his first. So here's the test to see if he <laughs> see if he if he listens to Jason, if, if you've listened to this one, you have to tell Stephanie specifically in order to let her know. Oh. <laughs> so. One of the things I think is fascinating about Nika and her job, especially at Clio, is that like a lot of lawyers that we know, she kind of made her job by having her expertise and having her, her fascination and following what she likes to do. I run into her and her work through the legal tech report and because she has a, her hands all over the legal tech report that Clio does. And I think it's fascinating to think about how lawyers make their decisions in their own practices. Yeah. But I, I love that she's made her own kind of job there in, in a sense. Yeah. And I, you know, what I would tell everybody is if you listen to the show and, you know, we're going to dive in deep about a specific area, which is decision fatigue. But if you do follow her on social media or go to her website, which she gives the link to at the end of the show and we'll have in the show notes, she just teases up really cool everyday conundrums that mm. we as humans face. Like, how do you get your kid to actually clean their room? Should you argue with your spouse before bed? Or, you know, is it okay to go to bed angry? That one I actually asked her about in this episode. But there's all these everyday things and she gives us sort of an approach and a way to figure out how to find a solution that I find really helpful and fascinating. So I, I like you, I'm like, yeah, follow her because she poses these really interesting questions and then gives you an, a neat way to think about it. 
And she does that in this show too. Well, and I guess instead of talking about her, we can go to your interview with Nika Kabiri. Hi, I'm Nika Kabiri. I'm a decision scientist at Clio, and I've spent about 20 years or more studying how people make decisions in a variety of contexts, from business to politics to relationships. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I'm also a bad decision maker. (laughs) Hey, Nika, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you today. Thanks. It's great to talk to you again. And with all that laundry list of things, you know, besides being a bad decision maker, I love that. You also love music. And I know last time we talked, we shared a common love of Pearl Jam, I believe, which also just dates us. Yeah. (laughs) But I was curious, do you play any musical instruments or you just like listening? I do. I play guitar. I sing. I'm learning from a really excellent, if you ever want to learn music, you should go to more than just a vocal coach.com. Missy McQuarrie is the best music teacher ever. And so I just, it's really kind of the only thing that lifts my spirits without compromise or unconditionally, you know, like we don't have to really do much work and it, and music just makes you feel better. And there's actually a lot of science behind that, how it kind of resonates with you on a psychological level or kind of boosts your dopamine levels and things like that, your serotonin or whatever. I don't remember which one, but yeah. So there's a chemical reaction that music has in your brain that makes you feel good. So yeah. That makes sense. And I've also read there's a something that happens in the brain when you play an instrument, like for business leaders, it's really important because it stimulates different parts of your brain activity. Yeah. That's, I haven't read that, but I, I can totally get that when I play, it puts you in a different kind of state. And when you sing, you're like, it's almost like meditating to me, putting in a meditative state. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Makes sense. I'm going to put on some music after this. (laughs) (laughs) So today we thought we'd tackle decision fatigue and it does feel like I don't know, with all the stuff we're hearing about right now, we always are talking about overwhelm and everything feels really heavy. And even this topic, decision fatigue, even the name of it, it's tiring. So I'd love you to help us kind of think about it. Maybe just to start us off, we should put a definition on it. Like, what is it when we say decision fatigue? Right. So it's very common if you make a lot lot of decisions over the course of the day, or if you make even a, a few huge decisions, you're going to get tired. And you can recover, obviously, but it's just like working out. If you lift too many weights or do too many reps in a row, or you run too long or whatever other sport you like to do, you're going to get physically tired and your brain does the same. It gets fatigued. And just like with sports, the more tired you get, the less able your body is to do the things you want it to do. The more your brain is tired, the more cognitively fatigued your brain is, the harder it is for it to do the things that it needs to do in order to make good decisions. It's tougher to be rational. It's tougher to process information appropriately. And so that's really all it is. And you can feel it at the end of the day when, you know, you've had a rough day at work and then you have to decide what to have for dinner, which is like the hardest decision of the day sometimes, but it's like an easy decision. It's fatigue. I mean, a lot of times it's just fatigue. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to ask because if I'm lifting weights 35 times, like my arm is going to tell me that it's tired and wants to stop. But I don't feel like I always know when my brain is tired and wants me to stop. So is there a way to to know when you're kind of experiencing decision fatigue? 
Yeah. You know, the brain is a decision-making machine. It's kind of like, it's the thing it does. You know, we are totally fine putting down the weights. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. I'm, I'm quitting, you know, I'm done. But I think because our brains are constantly working to make decisions, even on a kind of a very fast thinking way and an efficient way, we don't stop. We have to kind of know what to do next all the time. So you have to pick up on the signs. You just have to kind of be aware of what you're doing. So if you know it's an easy decision and you're stuck, chances are higher that you're fatigued. For instance, dinner, chances are higher that you're fatigued. If you can't seem to think straight, I mean, I think oftentimes I have this problem where I'm given a piece of information and I'm looking at it or I'm hearing it. And it's like, I can't quite grok it, even though it's very easy information to grok, that could be a sign. Sometimes the signals are physical, like being agitated, being a little bit frustrated, being quick tempered, fatigue can cause that as well. There's um, a lot of research in neuroscience right now that's connecting the physical with the, with the mental and the emotional, it's all kind of, you know, it is weaved together in a way. Just imagine you have like this fuel tank. And if your decision making is taking a lot of that fuel, then you're not going to have as much fuel for other bodily functions to work. So, so you can kind of pay attention to how your body is feeling and fatigue might be the cause. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the obvious question, but I assume that if we're trying to make big decisions, like important decisions, when we're in fatigued, that could be some problematic behavior. That is problematic. And I think a lot of businesses or business leaders do this. They wait till the end of the day or the end of the week to make that big call, to make that big choice. Not a good decision to wait. You know, just do it when you're rested, do it when you're recovered and take your time. Yeah. And so one of the things you teach about is how we can have some life habits that help us reduce this fatigue and set us up for better decision-making. So what should we be doing? Yeah. So it's kind of the same stuff we probably hear everywhere else, which is get sleep is first. And, you know, again, like there's a lot of research in neuroscience lately that points to sleep deprivation as a problem for our emotional well-being, for our mental well-being, and it has implications for our decision-making. Without proper sleep, we tend to be more impulsive. We might just slip into habitual behavior. We don't really think through what's best for us or for those that we are making decisions for when we're tired. And I know that a lot of us struggle with sleep for reasons that are beyond our control. You know, having a full-time job, having kids, having a lot of obligations makes it near impossible to get a good night's sleep. Some of us suffer from insomnia. I had terrible insomnia for years and years and years, and I, I no longer do. And I totally see the difference. So if somebody were to tell me like, I don't know, 10 years ago, just get more sleep. Your decision will be better. You'll have less decision fatigue. I would just dismiss it. It's like, no, I can't, I can't do it. Well, in that case, surround yourself with people or have someone in your life who you trust, who you know has your best interests in mind, who is well-rested, who you can bounce your decisions off of, especially the big ones. Don't just rely on yourself. And also just know that you have to calibrate a little bit. Like I'm fatigued. I'm an insomniac. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I have to make this decision today. Now I know from the science that I'm going to be more impulsive, that I'm going to be just kind of jump to a, to a decision then just stop yourself. And if you can wait to decide until you're rested, if you have time, then take it. 
Yeah. Or if you don't, then seek advice. Like know that you have to anticipate that you're going to jump to a decision and correct for that. I think I'm a pretty good sleeper, except sometimes when I have big decisions to make or something is really weighing on me, that's when it's right. really hard to sleep. <laughs> it is kind of a it is kind of a catch-22, right? It's like a, a lose-lose. Training your brain, like our brains are have a lot of plasticity, a lot more than we think to compartmentalize the decision, to put it aside. And that's where music comes in. I think like just playing the guitar makes me forget about the decisions I have to make. It focuses me on something else. And I, it's not like going for a run where your brain is still working. You have Mm. to focus on it. I used to do compete in martial arts and Muay Thai kickboxing. And the best thing about going to the gym and training was that if you didn't think about what's happening in front of you in the moment, you could get really seriously hurt. So it's like things, activities that force you to shift your brain away from the decision and to do something that you enjoy can give you a little bit of a break. Yeah, that resonates. It's like activity, it's almost meditative because you're focused on the activity. Yeah, it's active meditation. Yeah. You also talk about eating, which I found was fascinating because And you acknowledge like a lot of people don't eat throughout the day, maybe because they're trying to lose weight. For me, I will confess that I just get really into my work and it's easy to skip lunch because I've just, I don't know, I don't come up for breaks and then I don't stop and go make lunch. It's, there's really no good reason as I'm sitting here telling you this, (laughs) but that too can also impact our decision-making ability. Is that right? Totally. hundred percent. When you're hungry, you are also more likely to be impulsive. I used to work for someone who was a faster. She loved to fast, like do these fasts. And it it wasn't for weight loss as much as it was for her. I don't know. She felt like it did something for her spiritually, but then she would come to work and just kind of swoop and poop. Like she would just come in and just cause a lot of like hectic, chaotic kind of outcomes because she was very, you know, an impulsive decision maker. And then, and then we were left with this kind of mess. Yeah. Not a great idea to do that. I like to have a, you know, I don't have one right now, but like a jar of almonds at my desk. So you have something healthy to snack on and set an alarm, have a structure. If you set an alarm that reminds you go have lunch or go make lunch and bring it back to your desk, it could keep you satiated enough. And it's not just eating something. It's what you eat too. There's a lot of research on like how sugar diets make us less collaborative in groups. When we make decisions, we're more likely to punish each other socially. If we eat like a pancakes for breakfast versus like eggs or something like that, like a high protein breakfast. So just, you know, the stuff that you know, you have to do sleep well, exercise, eat nutritious food, not crap food. You know, it's not just about weight loss. It's not just about your cholesterol. It's about making decisions that could impact everything about your, your life. Love it. We're going to serve eggs at our next leadership retreat. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Well, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to tackle some questions that people can ask themselves to help frame their decisions and protect their brain. The Lawyer's Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, U.S.-based live virtual receptionists who are available 24-7, 365. 
They answer and transfer your calls, so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours and building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com forward slash Lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist Services. That's posh.com forward slash Lawyerist. And by Clio. What do solo and small firm lawyers with great client relationships have in common? They use cloud-based legal practice management software to run their law firms. This is just one finding from Clio's latest legal trends report. There's no getting around it. The fact is, when it comes to client expectations, standards are higher than ever before for lawyers. Proof is in the numbers. 88% of lawyers using cloud-based software report good relationships with clients. For firms not in the cloud, barely half can say that. That gap is significant. For more information on how cloud software creates better client relationships, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com slash trends. That's Clio, spelled C-L-I-O, dot com slash trends. And by Document. 90% of legal services will be delivered online by lawyers in the next 10 years. Document is a software platform for lawyers to build client-facing legal apps. With Document, do client intake, feed that data into robust document automation flows, and collect payments. Companies like Landlord Legal, Just Tech, and Hello Divorce are built on Document. Sign up for a free trial now at document.com lawyerist and get $100 off your subscription. You can also book a time at document.com lawyerist to get a free consultation on incorporating automation into your practice. Once again, that's document.com lawyerist. All right, so we're back and we're talking about how we can make better decisions and avoid decision fatigue. And one of the things you talk about is putting that decision in the bigger picture, which I love and I know I do with a lot of the attorneys that I coach. And a lot of people think it's like consultant speak when we say, you know, what's your vision or what's your long term goals here? But I was excited to see that the research backs me up that these are really good questions. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a destination, then how are you ever going to get there? How are you ever going to get anywhere? You're just going to spin in circles with your decisions. So even if your goal or your objective is very short term, have one, have some reason, have some kind of outcome or place you need to get to, and your decision-making will be a lot easier. It's really often all you need to avoid struggling over decision and getting fatigued to know that, wait, okay, an easy example is dinner. What should I have for dinner? What should I order? Should I get a pizza, order Asian? You know, what should I get? And if you really understand that at the end of the day, you're just hungry and you need sustenance, then it doesn't matter. And you can let yourself go and just order pretty much anything. You'll probably enjoy it. I think we struggle because we don't understand where we're trying to get to. Yeah. And with our businesses, it seems like you know, when I talk to people and they have a decision, let's say around compensation, it's sort of the end slash beginning of the year. And that feels like something everyone's talking to me right now. They're thinking about team compensation and bonuses and inflation and all these things. So they feel like really big, heavy decisions. And I'll ask them like, well, what's your long-term goal for your business and what values are important to you? Because that might then inform 
what we're pulling from to make those decisions. Absolutely. And I actually think of it more, it's very similar, but I think of like the destination that you're trying to get to. Like, what is it that your business really wants to accomplish as a business, as a firm or as a business, and then laddering it backwards? Like, okay, under what conditions is that objective going to be possible? And does giving, you know, a bonus or adhering to this bonus structure going to make that more possible or less possible? And working backwards like that often makes it a lot more simple. I think I had a client once who was struggling with deciding whether to give just, you know, cash gifts to employees who did a really great job and they struggled and struggled and struggled. Like, well, how much should we give them? Who should get them? Should it be a public reward? What if other people get upset because they didn't get a reward? And at the end of the day, really what matters is that the employees were feeling recognized and cash isn't necessary. Like a $50 gift card may not be necessary for that. They just want to be seen. So that kind of eliminates all of that back and forth, all that fatiguing work. Yeah. I also sense that a lot of business owners and lawyers I work with, they've made a decision but it's like they keep stressing about it. They keep wondering, like, was it the right one? Or do I need to change it? Or I don't know. It's like they relive it a hundred times. Is that something that you've encountered? So that without knowing who they are, it could be a couple of things. It could be that they haven't made a decision, that they really are still deliberating and they rushed to a decision or what they call a decision, like, this is what I'm going to do. And then once they've made that call, their brain is then weighing the pros and cons. The other thing is that a lot of people struggle with regret or anticipatory regret. Like they worry that the decision they make is going to be one that they'll either regret or be blamed for. And it plays a lot of people and it causes a lot of uh, analysis paralysis But regret is an emotion, it's a feeling, (laughs) and feelings are elusive and they're not facts. And sometimes managing the regret separate from the decision, like understanding where that regret comes from and managing it outside of the decision is the best way to go as opposed to using the decision in order to feel better about that regret. Mm. Does that make sense? Well, I was going to say, boy, that sounds simple when you say it and it feels really hard to do in the moment. Yeah. It does. Well, anything emotional is hard to do at the moment because emotions tend to carry us away. And we have a lot of, we put a lot of weight on them being very important and real. I am a very emotional person. Like I feel very deeply, but I think there's a difference between allowing yourself to feel deeply and letting those feelings drive the decision. The process for making a good decision really comes down to knowing where you want to go and going backwards from that. What is the objective you're trying to reach? And then under what conditions is that objective possible? And then of all of those conditions, which is the most feasible, which is the most likely to give you a successful outcome? That doesn't have to be an emotional process. So you can feel like, oh gosh, I recently had to make a very difficult medical decision. I basically just let myself cry it out and let it it just kind of go through my system before I did the rational thing or, you know, rationality perfectly as, as a pipe dream, but did the more thoughtful thing where I processed all the information that was relevant. I thought through where I wanted to be. I calculated risk. That was not an emotional process. So that's sort of what I'm talking about. You just have to override that tendency to let your emotions drive the decision-making as opposed to, you know, just feeling it, just letting yourself feel it and then deciding. Yeah. 
How do you bring in other people's feelings? Like I'm thinking again, back to team. I think I've had a lot of calls recently where people are struggling with team issues. So that must be top of mind for me. And it feels like sometimes as an owner, as a leader, it's really easy to sit there and say, well, here's the rational decision. But then you layer in, well, here's how this team member is going to potentially feel or react, or this team member is going to potentially feel and react. And I think it gets it all murky and cloudy then in our heads again. Yeah, I think we're really sensitive to how others react because we're social creatures. It's a natural thing to do. Social harmony and social order are, we crave that. We need that. Without that, there's too much uncertainty and uncertainty can really freak us out. So I think, unfortunately, a lot of the problem is that we can't tell other people, (laughs) okay, I understand that you're feeling this way, but let's set it aside right now because they feel invalidated. And unfortunately, that's the culture we live in, where if we don't validate each other's feelings, then we're pretty much, we're assholes. But that's a construction. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're invalidating someone by asking them to feel here and make a decision over there, right? The feelings are just like everything else. If you help your team process through the feelings, rather than react to those feelings as feedback that the decision was poor and adjust, then you might do a better job. So a lot of it is just management of the emotional state separate from management of the decision. Yeah. And one of the things that you wrote that I read was like, even with a spouse, like we've always heard, don't go to bed angry, you know, talk it out. And you're like, actually, if you can, maybe you should, because you're you're, you're in the emotion and you're tired. It's the end of the day and you're not going to make good decisions. I was like, oh, wow, I really struggle with that one. That would be good for me to do. Yeah. I mean, fatigue keeps the the arguments kind of going (laughs) sometimes. Oh my gosh. I used to be this person in my twenties where I had to resolve every argument right then and there. Like I Mm -hmm. had to just figure it out. And I thought it was healthy, but what I'm realizing now after reading a lot of the science is that it's just another example of impulsivity and this kind of compulsive need to eliminate as much uncertainty as possible. Like I just want that resolution because my brain naturally is uncomfortable with not knowing what's going to happen. You know, are we going to break up? What's the deal? You know, like that kind of worry can really be a problem and it can force you to make, if you're fatigued at the end of the night, to make decisions that are worse for the relationship than if you rested. So again, compartmentalizing that decision, going to bed, maybe not like huffing and puffing where you don't sleep, but shifting gears putting it on hold with your partner. Hey, we both love to watch this show on Netflix. Let's just take a break and watch this show and cuddle and we'll pick it up in the morning. But picking it up in the morning, I think, I think unfortunately in my relationships, I was with men who just wanted to avoid and that's not healthy either. So you have to make a commitment to pick it up, listen to music, which always makes, usually makes you feel better. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's so helpful. And it's like real advice, real things that we can apply to our life. Because like you said, we're making decisions. How many decisions do we make on a day? You said like over 30. One researcher, I don't know how they counted 35,000. And not all of them are really like big decisions. It's even just which sweater do I wear? Right. You know, should I put more salt on my food? Just little ones. But yeah, it's a lot. That was a lot. Yeah. What question do you wish people would ask you more? Ooh, that is a good question. In business or in just life or general or? 
You can pick. I made it really wide open there. <laughs> you know, okay, here, I've got it. This is the okay. one thing that I wish people would ask me more, less because the question is good and more because they need to hear the answer. I wish they would ask, why am I such a bad decision maker? Because the answer is you're not. Like what I'm trying to get at is I often get people telling me they're bad decision makers because they're too indecisive or they're too emotional and they're judging their decision making. Like they're very judgmental about how they make decisions and they want to know, how do I fix myself? Like, how do I fix what's wrong with me? And really, there's nothing wrong with you. We are pretty much designed to make decisions the way we make them. We have a brain that's designed for efficiency. It takes up 2% of our body mass, but 20% of our fuel, which it has to be efficient or else we couldn't sustain ourselves. So it's going to take shortcuts. It's going to have biases. It's going to jump to conclusions. All of these things lead to bad decisions. We're naturally social creatures. So we're always going to be swayed by people around us. All the things that make us able to go to the moon and do all these crazy, amazing things as humans are the same traits that cause us to mess up from time to time. And so it's less about fixing what's wrong and more just overriding those natural tendencies when you need to, in order to serve your best interests. Awesome. That was amazing. I think that was a great place to wrap up. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I've learned so much and I'm going to use this. I think I'm going to say practice. I don't think I'm going to get it perfect, but I'm not going to judge myself because it doesn't mean I'm a bad decision maker. It just means I'm learning. As long as you're improving in the odds, that's all that counts. Awesome. If people want to learn more about the work you do around decision science, where should they go? Go to my website. It's yournextdecision.com. Awesome. And I have lots of information there. Thanks, Nika, for being with me today. Thank you. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10 minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.